On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, well, I've sort of got a bad feeling about our study tonight. Well, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about people's feelings, their opinions, their testimonies. We want to talk about conscience, our own conscience in matters. We've talked a lot in recent programs about matters of judgment and and uh, expediency and so forth. And, and in conjunction with that, a lot of times the question of opinions and people's consciences those kind of things all come up in such discussions and we want to talk about that tonight all right we're going to get it get get it started right now it's time for this week's edition of the virtual bible study the virtual bible study is a live internet only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of god's word do you have a question about something in the bible or are you simply interested in learning more about the scriptures if so we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of god's word the virtual bible study is brought to you this time each week by the college view church of christ in columbia tennessee you can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we are live on the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for February 1st, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. I am Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Kyle's behind the controls tonight. Kyle, glad. Always good to be here. Look forward to hearing from you as well on that end of the room. And uh, we want to hear from you on the other end of the line tonight at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room with other listeners who are filing in and signing in. If you're not signed in, sign in there now on the program. Jay, we had a really good weekend series here at College View on Saturday and Sunday with Paul Smith and preaching. Paul was with us on the program last uh, week briefly, and uh, he came and preached for us on Saturday and Sunday and he brought us five lessons, and they were just outstanding lessons. Uh, they were applicable to us all. There was some special emphasis on young people, but they were really lessons that all could apply. It was just really a very encouraging series. And uh, they're going to be coming to a podcast feed near you. Exactly right. Well, later on tonight, they should be in the podcast feed. And Shortly so- after we end the program tonight, we'll post both our program and all five of Paul's lessons will be up on, on the podcast. The sermon so- feed, not the... the- well, it's actually two feeds. You explained are- that for them. Well, you, you, if, you're not, if you're not on the podcast or the sermon podcast feed, you can find out more on our website under sign-up resources. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcast. Uh, but uh, web page, if you go to sermon archives, you can it'll it'll show you the link to get to the sermon podcast. And if you go to program archives, the audio archives, uh, MP3 or uh, either one of the uh, formats of the uh, audio archives, there's a link there that will get you on to the program podcast. So we got actually we got two separate podcasts. And you can get them both. All right. So it's free. It's actually free. And so you want to check it out there. Those sermons are definitely worth your, your time uh, to, to uh, go out and get them out of our podcast feed. Exactly right. So do that. All right. Uh, we've got other things we'd love to share with you. We'd love to share with you bump st- bumper stickers. Send us an email. Some folks were here from out of town on uh, Saturday of our, our series with Paul, and I noticed a virtual Bible study sticker on one of their cars. Good. So, yeah. So yeah, you want to have getting one around, of those. Getting around. Uh, uh, and so we'd be glad to send you that. We'd be glad to put you on our email update list. And, and if you are on our email update list, you get a couple of emails a week from us, no more. One is on Tuesday. We send out uh, an electronic version of our most recent bulletin from the Sunday before. 
Uh, so you get a, you'll get the articles that are in our, our bulletin on Tuesday. And then on Thursday about midday, you get an update about what our program is going to discuss. Uh, so if you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And just say, add me to the list, and we'll do it. All right. Earlier today, you sent out some questions for us to consider. On this business of feelings, opinions, testimonies, and personal conscience, we thought we would discuss this at least initially by talking about six different well-known biblical sort of character studies. Um, We want to talk about Jacob. He had some really strong feelings about the death of his son, Joseph. Of course, Joseph wasn't actually dead. We'll talk about that. I think everybody knows that story. We'll talk about Uzzah, who touched the Ark of God. Naaman, who uh, wanted to be cleansed of leprosy, but his own strong personal preconceived notions hindered him. Apollos, who was really a great speaker, very eloquent man, it says. Uh, We can learn something about how we should approach such things by talking about Apollos. The people of Samaria who were following Simon the sorcerer and Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting Christians but said his conscience was clear in the whole in the whole business. Okay. And then we want to talk more specifically about personal conscience. Is it important? Is it right to let your conscience be your guide? Can I insist that you that you follow my conscience? Okay. And finally, should I not be concerned at all about the conscience of other people? Uh, if you haven't sent in your responses to those questions, send them in as we go through the discussion tonight. Kevin from Hot Springs, Arkansas is in the chat room. been a while since Kevin's been able Kevin, to join great us. great to see you there, bud. And Kevin's asking for a roll call. He wants to know where the other listeners in the chat room are. So, uh, And he says he might get his feelings hurt if no one uh, will respond. So you I, I can tell where a few are from, but get in there. Just If you're in the chat room, just just type in. Where you're, where you're listening uh, tonight, and, and we'll sort of do a roll call in the chat room. All we right. haven't done that in a while. All right. We'll look forward to some good comments in the chat room tonight. So a lot of people in uh, the religious world today are using uh, their feelings uh, to determine what's right and what's wrong, but we see a lot of danger in that uh, from some examples you've mentioned here for us tonight. Well, let's talk about the first one. I think it's a really well-known well, well episode, and I think everybody has probably uh, heard plenty of sermons likely have made the point yourself about how deceptive feelings can be. And the story, of course, is that story of uh, uh, Joseph, who was hated by his brothers. They envied him because their father had showed him special favoritism. That's right. Uh, And so they caught him in the field one day. They were going to kill him, but they decided instead to sell him as a slave. And he he was sent off to Egypt. And you know how that all turned out in Egypt. But what they did, of course... Uh, to explain his absence to the to the fathers, they took his coat of many colors that the father had given. They took it back to Jacob, and they said, "We found this coat. They had dipped it in animal blood." And they said, "We want to know is this your son's coat or not?" And he said, oh, "He said, it, it it definitely is. This is Genesis thirty seven. Um, he, he said, uh, um, verse thirty three. It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces." And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son, mourning. Uh, and his father wept for him. Well, you know, the, the thing about that was his feelings were absolutely genuine 
heartfelt, very deep emotional feelings that he had. He was absolutely 100% confident that Joseph was dead. And, but the fact of the matter was he wasn't dead. And he was he was a logical person. He was, from all accounts, he was emotionally stable. He And he had the facts presented to him, and he made really the only logical conclusion you could have made. Like he was some kind of, uh, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it wasn't that he was some kind of uh, emotional or mental weakling and uh, or, or some kind of a, a gullible uh, rube that you could, you could put anything over on him. Uh, the evidence presented to him seemed to be right. His feelings kicked in, and and his feeling he, he was absolutely certain that he was right about that, and he mourned bitterly, mourned for the death of his son. And when he was presented facts otherwise in Genesis chapter forty-five, heart stood still. It says in verse twenty-six because he did not believe them when they said Jacob is still alive. Yeah. He was so convinced of that that he even when they presented facts otherwise, he had no way. Yeah. I, what I saw, I'm convinced he's a goner, uh, and you're telling me something otherwise. I, I don't believe it. Yeah, and so we, we use that storyline, and it's, a, as we said, a very, very familiar storyline, but we use that storyline to emphasize that feelings can be misled, and and therefore a, a good, honest people can be have feelings that, that, although they are sincere and genuine, they're not correct, and therefore we, we use that story to just illustrate the fact that you can't trust your feelings exclusively to be a proper guide on important matters that pertain to serving God and doing his will. And yet the religious world today is just full of people who do that exact thing. That's exactly right. Uh, Lots of folks who are making their mind up for what seems logical and reasonable to them. They're, They're saying, well, that must be right. I've actually had people tell me I wouldn't trade the feeling that I have in my heart for a whole stack of Bibles. In other words, they're saying that they're, they're, they're so confident in their feeling that, uh, that you can't go to a scripture and, and point out, well, here's a scripture that says that what you're feeling is not correct. And they said, I don't want to hear that. My, my feeling, they're just convinced of their feelings. And so I think the story of Jacob is is one that we need to be re, have on ready recall whenever we get into a religious discussion with someone and they're putting so much high confidence in their feelings uh, we just got to get people to realize that feel, feelings are real i mean they're real feelings but they're not always accurate feelings can be misled and i you know I, you've probably talked to folks like this uh, in emotional situations but for instance, uh, maybe romantic situations where they may not have a right to marry the person that they're interested in marrying, and yet their emotions kick in and they disregard the objective truths of God's Word for subjective feelings and emotions and what they think must be right because of the emotions that they're feeling, and they disregard the clear and objective truths of God's word in favor of those subjective emotions. Exactly right. And it's a very dangerous thing. Um, in the chat room, guest 1515, and he says he's listening in Nashville. Glad to have you with us in Nashville. Uh, he, he quotes from Luke 24, 32. This is after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and verse 32 of Luke 24 says, Jesus had been with a couple men walking on the road to Emmaus, and talking with them, they, but they didn't recognize him. But after he had left them, they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked with him by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And he asked the question, Was that not a feeling? It was a feeling, 
and we're not denying feelings. Everybody has feelings. But what we're saying is we can't use our feelings to establish fact and truth. Uh, th- those men definitely had a feeling. They sensed something about Jesus. But we don't trust our feelings, even in regards to that f- fact of Scripture, the resurrection of Jesus. We 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 should base our faith on uh, the objective evidence which is available. Uh, so, yeah, uh, maybe that's a good point to make. Feelings, feel, people, everybody has feelings. We all have feelings. But what we're saying is we've got to be careful about using our feelings instead of the objective standard of truth to determine what we do. But our, our feelings, I think, can be trained based upon the objective standards of God's word. Maybe for Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, talking about uh, solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses discern, uh, exercise discern both good and evil. There's, there, there, and, and I'm not, maybe, and that may be more what we're going to talk about a little bit about conscience, too. That may be, but there, some, something might just not feel right to me based upon my grounding in the truth. Maybe some scenario that... So that, doesn't, that doesn't look right to me. And then I, I'll, I'll investigate it and tie it off to Scripture. I won't, I won't rest on just my feeling, but perhaps... And maybe that's some of what the, the disciples were feeling there. Is, there's something about that guy. Yeah. But then it all the into truth, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do want us to emphasize that feelings are... Uh, I mean, that's a reality of life. We all have feelings. When we, and we got to be careful. Like, and our feelings can be prejudicially wrong. That's true. You know... Uh, I, I met that guy today, and I just had a feeling about him. I don't, yeah, I don't, that's true. I just had that's a true. bad feeling. About, yeah. Well, you know, and we might make bad judgments based upon feelings. So it's all got to be tied back to something objective. Yeah. Uh, and and so yeah, feel, we all have feelings. We understand that. Yeah. Good comment. But we, but good we, we can't act on feelings alone. We got they, they've got to be substantiated with truth. That's right. Okay. All, all right. right. How are we doing on time? Well, let's, let's take a break. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll and, come back and talk about Uzzah in a minute. Uh, so there, some chimed in for Kevin's roll call tonight. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff, who's listening from his recliner, uh, and uh, we've got the Mayberries. Let's see if you've not signed in and given us your location tonight. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can do that during the break. We'll be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The man who lives only for himself is engaged in a very small business. Many who expect to be saved at the 11th hour die at 1030. One kind of enemy is a friend who doesn't oppose you when you are wrong. The armor of God is awkward apparel for armchairs. 
How you play the game shows something of your character. How you act when you lose shows it all. Nothing is more frequently opened by mistake than the mouth. Man, wish I'd said that. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program. We're talking about feelings, opinions, uh, and how they relate to truth. Uh, on our program tonight, we talked about Jacob, very sincere, very logical. He made a logical assumption that his son Joseph was dead. He believed that even years later when he was presented with the truth, he had trouble uh, getting his mind wrapped around that. He was so convinced of the fact when he was, in fact, alive. And that shows us the danger of trusting our emotions and our feelings uh, in determining right and wrong. And again, I think we should emphasize, we're not saying we should be without feeling right. or that our religion should be emotionless now we're not we please don't misunderstand us to be saying that we should be have it should be our our service to god should be heartfelt we should be emotionally invested in what we're doing but we can't determine what's right and wrong that way yes okay all right um the 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 next example of somebody who we might learn from is this again a familiar story from the old testament it's in second samuel chapter six we're talking about the man uzzah you may remember that during the time of King David, the Ark of the Covenant had actually been housed uh, at the house of a man named Abinadab. And, and, and boy, things were going good for him while the Ark of the Covenant was at his house. And David said, we got to get that thing back where yeah. it belonged. Yeah. I mean, we need that. We need the kind of blessings that Abinadab We're missing getting. out here. Yeah. So they decided to move it. But as you remember, I think everybody remembers, when the Ark of the Covenant was made, and then the instructions that God gave to Moses, it had rings built into the corners of it, and they would run long rods or staves through those rings, and then the thing could be picked up without being touched. Right. And there was a, and people were forbidden to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the problem was they didn't transport it that way. Instead, they set it up on an ox cart, and when they come to came to a threshing floor, a rough place, that ox cart tipped and tottered and it looked like the ark of the covenant was going to come falling off of there and of course if it fell it would it would crush it and destroy it and you got to believe although we the, the, the text doesn't say but you got to believe that Uzzah had high respect for this important religious artifact of the israelites and so when he saw it tottering on the on the ox cart he reached up touched it to steady it to keep it from falling and he and god struck him dead yeah um the thing that we the the thing the lesson that we try to draw from Uzzah is uh, here's a fellow with I think arguably the very best of intentions. Uh, he was sincere. He was devoted. He did not want to see that Ark of the Covenant damaged if it would fall off that cart. Of course, we often make the point it wouldn't. This would have never happened if they were doing it the right way, doing it the way that God prescribed. But in regards to Uzzah. He was absolutely well-intentioned, uh, sincere, honest, genuine. And the he, outcome he was going for was nothing but uh, honorable. Good. Yeah, uh, it was. It, he he wanted what was best in his mind, and and yet God. I mean, we don't have to worry whether some men did the wrong thing. God is the one who took the action and struck him dead for touching, violating the rule, and touching the Ark of the Covenant. And so his case, I think, would certainly tell us that. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing, and he had the best of intentions, and he was dead wrong. And again, I would argue that we see a lot of that in the religious world today. 
people who who really sincerely think they're they're doing okay, that they're doing the right thing, they're doing something good. This is really, you know, you hear people make the argument, look at all the good that is being accomplished here. Uh, surely it can't be wrong when all of this good is resulting from what we're doing. Um, and that's really dangerous thinking. I think the case of us would tell us so. Yeah, and even when uh, the ends a good thing, uh, it, they needed to have the Ark of the Covenant back with them. That was a good thing. But how they accomplished that was what was uh, it was an error, and God was not pleased. Uh, you would think, well, we've got good, they had good intentions. They had a good idea. It would be much better. The outcome care. is going to be good. The outcome is going to be good and probably would save some, I don't know, some tired backs from the folks carrying it. Uh, so certainly there was some reasoning here uh, putting it on that cart. They didn't skimp on the cart. They they had a new one. Uh, they didn't, it wasn't one that had been hauling manure the day before. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of, uh, probably a lot of reasoning here that made uh, made a lot of sense to the folks who were involved in this transgression. So uh, uh, probably another good lesson from what you were just saying, Jacob, is the end does not justify the means. Yeah. The end was we're going to get this ark back where it belongs with the people of God. Uh, and how we get it there won't matter just as long as we get it there. And, the, and in the end, it, everything is good. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people reason that way. They have good intentions. They want good things to happen. And they're not terribly concerned about how they get there. And and the story of Uzzah says how you get there is important, too. What about verse 9? David was afraid of the Lord that day after he struck Uzzah. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? You know, David's so far down this path that, well, it's obvious how the ark's going to come to you. You're going to carry it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they get you, you get so wrapped up in this reasoning, you can't see God's will for your own faulty reasoning uh, and and your own faulty uh, judgment and thinking on on how things ought to go. God's plan is there, and it's obvious. Yet people get so wrapped up in well their good intentions that they can't see uh, what God would have them to do. Exactly. Uh, so um, again, Uz's story tells us, and it's, it's intentions. I suppose fall into that category of feelings. He had good intentions. His feelings were honorable, but he was wrong. All right. In the chat room, uh, Kevin says Mark seven verse six shows your heart can be far from God even when your words sound honorable. Verse six of, of Mark seven, he answered and said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." So. It may sound reasonable, it may sound good, but if we're not submitting to God's will, then our heart is not right, uh, and uh, our actions are not pleasing to God. Exactly right. Kyle, any thoughts on that side of the board tonight? I know which I do feel bad for us, because I'm not sure if he, if he was even, uh, he may not have been, I guess, was he, would he have been educated in the proper use of the ark? I mean, uh, um in other words, you're saying he may have done it. He was sincere and well-intentioned yeah. and maybe so ignorant of what he... As, I, I suppose that's possible. However, I have always kind of pictured that. They had to have set that thing up on the ox cart with those staves or rods. Or else they'd been dead. Or somebody else would have been dead already. Yeah. So they knew... They knew it seemed like they knew something about hand, how to, to, to move it and not touch it. Uh, so I don't know. But I, again, I've never heard anybody who would argue that Naaman... Marazzo. had a I mean, excuse me that uh, we're going to talk about Naaman in just a minute. I never heard anybody that talked about Uzzah and said the guy had a bad heart. 
Uh, he didn't. He had a good heart. Well-intentioned, but wrong. So, again, learn the lesson and make the application. We're not moving the Ark of the Covenant around, but we are trying to serve God according to his will. Uh, and we learn some things. You don't, you don't trust your feelings. You don't trust your intentions. And you don't just rest on, well, my intentions are good. Don't worry about everything The else. end justifies the means. Yeah. Don't do that. All right. All right, let's talk about Naaman. I mentioned Naaman. Naaman, the story of Naaman, another, all the, these, these three Old Testament accounts that we suggested are very familiar. And I would guess that the, the sermon, the number of sermons preached on these texts has to be, if, if not in the millions, at least in the hundreds of thousands through the, through the centuries, yeah. uh, uh, sermons have been preached. Well, you're good on, for at least a thousand of those, aren't you? I've got, I've got sermons on all yeah, of these, yeah. uh, and I think every preacher does. I okay. mean, they, they just, they preach. I mean, they make the point yes, so clearly. All right. Now, Naaman, the story of Naaman is in Second Kings chapter 5. Again, I think all our listeners are familiar with that story. He was and they the, probably can quote him in, in the famous line. Yeah. He was a, a, a captain of uh, who served under the king of Syria, but he was a, a leper. Uh, and as we've studied uh, the disease of leprosy, it's a horrible thing, and anybody who had it would want to be healed of it. And a servant girl, actually a servant girl who had been captured from Israel, uh, told Naaman's wife, I, I wish my master was with the prophet that is in Samaria, because he could heal him of his leprosy. Uh, and and so word got to Naaman. Naaman spoke to the king, and Naaman was sent with with an abundance of gifts to the king of Israel, with with the with the idea that he would be healed. And and of course, the king of Israel thought initially that they were just trying to provoke a fight with him. But he he found out about Elisha's miraculous powers, and he he was sent to Elisha. Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. Uh, he, he sent out a messenger, and he said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and you'll be cleansed. Well, that just infuriated Naaman. He thought that there would be some big pomp and circumstance. He thought that at least you know, the, the prophet would come out and wave his hand over the place and make some kind of you know, big deal, big, make a big scene. Elisha didn't even come out to meet him in person. He sent his messenger out there, uh, and he said, we got rivers back home that are better than the Jordan River. I could have dipped in them at home. I'm, and, and so basically his pride, uh, he, he had in his mind how this was going to be. And what happened wasn't at all like what he thought it was going to be. And he was proud and he was determined. And, and so he was not going to get the healing until his servants convinced him. This is, you know, if you'd been asked to do some big thing, you would have done it. This is a little thing. You ought to do it. And he did. And he was, and he was cleansed of the leprosy, but he had, to, he had in his mind. And, and what, what is that verse? Uh, uh, verse 11 of second Kings five, behold, I thought yes. he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not the are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Uh, so behold, I thought that's the line that that's been preached on. So I thought this is what I thought. I had this idea, and what you're telling me to do is different than the idea that I already had, and I don't like it, and so I'm not going to do it. Uh, and you can just think of an abundance of applications of that to the modern day. Oh, yeah. Lots of folks come to the scriptures, and uh, they pass uh, the, the, the 
instructions of God's word through their own filters and their own preconceived notions. And if it makes sense to them, well, I'll do that. But if I read an instruction from God's word that doesn't make sense to me, isn't what I thought is reasonable or logical, well, then that, you're, surely you're, that's not what I need to be doing. You're telling me that I have to be baptized for the remission yeah. of sins? Yeah. I, I thought all I had to do was believe, and you're yeah. telling me that I have to be I just don't. I thought that just I could be saved by faith, yeah. believing in Jesus, faith alone. I thought I could be saved just by faith alone. And you're, I, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not uh, going to accept that. That just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense doesn't to me that sense. I would have to be. Why should I have to be? How does being, I've actually had people ask the question, how does getting my body wet with water have anything yeah. to do with saving my soul? Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Or lying is a sin under all circumstances. Even if I might be wanting to tell a little white lie to save your, you from hurting your feelings. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, that, surely that couldn't be right. Yeah. Or how about God's instructions on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? That, uh, that if, I, if I've been put away for uh, some reason other uh, period, that I can't remarry. Yeah. Well, that doesn't seem right to me. I, because there's someone here that I really love, and I want to, we would we, be great together. Yeah. And so, again, again, this is pretty much related to that idea of feelings that we talked about initially. But this is, the, this is the, the feeling of a preconceived idea, the feeling that something doesn't make sense to me, therefore I'm not going to do it. You know, bottom line, it doesn't have to make sense to me. Well. If, it's, if it's what the Word of God says I should do, then that's what I should do. And I don't have to figure it out. I, I think in, in effectively all cases, if we dig deep enough, we can understand God, the reasoning behind God's instructions. But the, the reality of the matter is I don't have to understand why God said to do what he said to do. I just have to do it. All right. We need to get a break of this week's bullet point. When we get back, we're going to talk about Apollos and uh, something that we learn from We're going to have him. to move a little faster because we've got several, several uh, things we want to talk about when we get to this subject of personal conscience. So we get this week's bullet point and get your thoughts. And if you've not uh, answered the roll call that Kevin uh, asked for earlier, sign in to the chat room and tell us where you're listening tonight. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It's not uncommon, while trying to rebuke or admonish someone concerning their spiritual condition, to have them reply with this statement, quote, I'm at peace with my God, unquote. For instance, we got this reply from a fellow who left the Lord's Church and joined a denomination. In another case, a Christian, after admitting his homosexual lifestyle, used the same defense. Apparently, these folks think that this feeling of peace is the absolute standard by which their conduct should be judged. They could not be more wrong. In ancient Judah, the prophet Jeremiah bemoaned the unfaithfulness of God's people. One of the great problems was that they were oblivious to their lost condition. This was largely due to the fact that, quote, from the prophet even to the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, unquote. That's Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14. Do you see it? They believed that they were at peace with just leaders even told them that there was peace with God. But in reality, there was no peace. People today, like those in Jeremiah's day, are deceived into thinking that they are at peace with God even as they continue in their rebellion against him. False teachers contribute to the problem with, quote, good words and fair speeches that deceive the hearts of the simple, unquote. That's Romans 16, verse 18. 
The only true basis for peace with God is in humble obedience to his will. The Apostle Paul urged, quote, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you, unquote. That's Philippians 4, verse 9. Faith and obedience produce true peace. Anything other than that is simply the deception of subjective feelings. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. And we are rolling along. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Quickly, we'll remind you, our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Find out more about us there. Sign up for or subscribe to that sermon podcast feed where you can get those lessons brought by Paul Smithson earlier this week, or last week as well. Uh, that will, Those will be in the podcast feed later on tonight, Lord willing. So check that out at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about feelings, opinions, and personal testimonies on uh, the, the virtual Bible study tonight and how they compare with the truth. And can we use them to establish truth and determine uh, make determinations about what we should do in our service to the Lord? All right, let's talk real quick about Apollos in Acts chapter 17. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, um, the Apostle Paul had left Ephesus uh, and he left behind Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, and No, this is actually Acts 18. He, he was on his way back to Jerusalem, but he had left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. Uh, and it says in verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in, in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Um Apollos is is a really commendable character uh, in the New Testament. And one of the things was that he was willing to take that instruction. When Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him the things that he didn't know, he was willing to accept that. But notice when he came there, he was was a very eloquent man. Uh, If you you wanted to hear a good preacher, you'd go hear Apollos. Apollos was a man who could really polish the pulpit. I mean, he was he was he was a a good speaker, very eloquent. He was also uh, he was also a learned man. He he was from Alexandria, which was a center of Jewish learning yeah. in the day, and so he 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 had credentials and he and he could really do a good job of holding your attention as a speaker. Uh, people would have said that guy he's he's good. I I, I need to do what he says. He, he he didn't have the whole truth, and right. and so even in his eloquence and even with his credentials, you had to be careful about trusting him uh, to tell the truth. You needed to check it out yourself. And we, we would just make a real simple point from that: so many people trust their preacher uh, says this or that. Well, that's fine, but you better make sure that the preacher's saying what the Word of God says. That's right, and especially they'll trust the preacher if he's a real slick talker. Yeah. Yeah, boy, he can keep your attention. And, and now that's not to say that not we don't want bad. preachers to do a good job of holding But that's what you attention. hear about people when they recommend a preacher. Oh, he's such a good preacher. He could really hold your attention. Okay. He's he's He just, oh, he's so, so easy to listen to. Yeah. 
Not that, oh, he, he really knows the scriptures front ways and back ways. I mean, his sermons are chock full of scriptural evidence. No, it's just, well, he's a good speaker. But again, the feeling that, that I, I like that preacher. I really like to hear him preach. I like his style. I like his eloquence, whatever it may be. Be careful with that. We want preachers to do a good job. We want them to hold people's attention. We want them to, uh, to really be effective in, in, uh, preaching the word. Don't but that's, let, don't trust that feeling that that is therefore the acid test. Don't allow that to influence you. All right. All right. So that's a real quick one. Let's look, look in Acts again at chapter eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people of Samaria, who had followed Simon the sorcerer. You remember in Acts 8, I think, again, this is a familiar story to our listeners, but in Acts 8, Philip the evangelist went to Samaria, <coughs> and he preached Jesus, and the people were uh, uh, very receptive to the truth that Philip was preaching. But that beforehand, in Acts 8, verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon, who in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was one, some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. To him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Okay. Uh, so, uh, lots of lessons. Uh, that, that makes a good, that's a really good sermon text, too, about Simon the sorcerer yeah. and, and what the people were doing. But the thing that I just want to emphasize right here is, what it says, to whom they, verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. And so if you were in Samaria and and you were following the crowd, you were doing what the majority did, you'd be following Simon the sorcerer. Yeah, and you could rub elbows with some really great people that the, were doing the, the same the, thing. The top people in the city, the, the least to the, the greatest, the, the big, greatest yeah. people in the city were were involved in this religion of Simon the sorcerer. And, of course, they were just absolutely dead wrong. And uh, so sometimes when things are taught that are a, are not the majority opinion, uh, I might just use the example of instrumental music. You know, we've talked so often on the virtual Bible study about instrumental music. The feeling a lot of people about it is, hey, listen, almost all religious groups use instrumental music. That's got to be okay because everybody does it. Right. And and so the determination then is made upon how could everybody be wrong? How could the majority be wrong? And we just got to be warned that the majority can certainly be wrong. Again, go back to the objective standard of the Word of God. All right. Um, absolutely. Uh, don't allow the majority to sway your beliefs and your uh, understanding of God's Word. They do not determine right and wrong. Kent from Calhoun, Georgia, has signed in tonight with his comments. Thank you, Kent. He says, Jacob sincerely believed the false report his sons gave him about Joseph. However, the false report did not change the fact that Joseph was still alive. Uzzah thought that in touching the ark, he was doing God a favor. However, he acted contrary to the Old Testament authority and lost his life because of disobedience. Naaman held to a false presupposition about God's conditions to to his being healed Yet he remained in his diseased condition until he obeyed God. Apollos was an eloquent speaker and a sincere individual, yet he was eloquently and sincerely mistaken, therefore he was wrong. The people in Acts 8 sincerely followed Simon the sorcerer, however, they were sincerely guilty of sin. Saul of Tarsus had a clear conscience. 
but he was a sinner even though he acted in accordance with his conscience. Yeah, and so that's gonna, that brings us to this discussion of conscience, and let's start it by just observing the case of Saul of Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Acts chapter 23, Paul is under arrest. He's making his defense. And obviously, this was years after he had become a Christian and was serving as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Acts 23 and some passages that follow there, we read Paul sort of going back and talking about his former days. And in Acts 23, verse 1, Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I'm of the conviction, and I think most commentators are of the conviction, that he there is making a blanket statement about his life. At all points in his life, he had uh, tried to live with a good conscience. He was a man of conviction. He lived by his conviction. And and his conscience was good. More plainly, in Acts 26, beginning verse 9, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He said, I thought it's what I was supposed to be doing. His conscience was clear in that matter. His conscience was saying, this is a good thing. Persecute those Christians. Put them in jail. Have them put to death. That's a good thing. And Saul's conscience was clear in the matter, he said. Uh, so uh, his is a classic case. All of the, I think all of the examples we've used tonight are classic cases to show that we just got to be careful about using any of feelings, opinions, preconceived notions, the testimony of other people, uh, or even our conscience. We've got to, any of those things, when pitted against the objective standard of God's Word, put us in a dangerous situation. We've got to really be careful. And, you know, I would say... I would say everyone that we talk to religiously is has a clean conscience. And they may be doing some things that are in terrible error. They're doing it with a good conscience and probably aren't necessarily looking to change because their conscience is clean about certain things they're doing. That's a danger to those in the religious denominational world. It's a danger to us all. We all have to be real, realize that just because we can sleep good at night doesn't mean that we're right. We can't use that as our gauge of faithfulness and, yeah. uh, and yeah. acceptableness to God. Most most all surveys, plus our own experience, people people think they're okay. They just have they 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 their conscience is clear. They have a feeling that everything is okay between them and God, and they're just going with that. Uh, a lot of times, when you attend a funeral, you get the sense that people just they're just rolling along. They think that their feeling is. Everything is okay. Now they yeah. haven't they haven't checked that out and they haven't they haven't searched the word of God to see. They just have a feeling. They just have their, their conscience is clear. They don't have they're just not troubled. They don't have any worries. They're just going on toward judgment without really seriously thinking about it. And matters. so if their conscience doesn't bother them, then they're not going to the pause and examine their life and compare it to the truths of God's word. Yeah. But the case of Saul of Tarsus, who of course we know better as Paul, uh, the apostle Paul is is a, a really great example of the fact that conscience can be wrong too and and that your conscience can be clear or you're doing just exactly the opposite of God, what God wants you to be doing. All right. Uh, let's get a break. And when we we'll get, get back, break we'll, we'll do the top of the hour talking more about yeah. our conscience and how it equates and it comes into this equation. Yeah. Um, we ask the questions. Here's the question we want to cover. Is it important? Is our conscience important? 
should you let your conscience be your guide, can you insist that other people honor your own conscience? Oh, boy. And should I be concerned about the conscience of other people? Mm-hmm. We're going to get to that on the other side. Boy, that we've loaded this uh, this this hour's discussion is really back in loaded on the back end here. Lots of stuff to talk about. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will conclude right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If hear from you, please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Four five six seven. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we'll do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com, 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. About 2.6 million people died in the United States in the year 2014. That's according to the CDC. To put this number into perspective, that means about 824 people died for every 100,000 people in the country. Worldwide, an estimated 56 million people died in the year 2012, the most recent year for which numbers on worldwide deaths are available from the World Health Organization. That information is via LiveScience.com. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we are back to the program tonight talking about our feelings, our thoughts and opinions and uh, preconceived notions and comparing them with what the scriptures teach as well as our conscience. Here's what uh, Kevin has to say in the chat room. Kevin says, I have had some people say to me that they don't want to look at the scripture that I quote, since they might have to change, and their heart tells them otherwise. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. And yeah. so many people are in that boat. Yeah. That I, well, I don't, that, that would mean that I have to change, and I feel so good about what I'm doing now. Yeah. yeah uh, excellent. Uh, I don't know, uh, in the bullet point that was uh, on just earlier, people have, this, you know, talk about, I'm at peace um, with my God. Right. And, and, they, and so if they feel that, if they have that feeling, then they're not in, interested in even investigating, as Kevin says. And so, so dangerous. Very so dangerous. dangerous. And it's certainly something for us all to be aware of, because we could be in that boat. And we got to make sure that we don't fall victim to that same uh, detriment and danger. Yeah. Let's spend a little bit more time here at the end of the program talking about personal conscience. And I asked the question, is conscience important? And I, I, I think we want to answer that with an emphatic yes uh, Kent and Georgia said, our individual conscience is a component of our own being, therefore very important. Uh, our conscience prompter informing us when we act either in accordance with or in opposition to our persuasion. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, let me give you some verses, I think, along that line. Romans 13, verses 1 and 5. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there's no power of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. We believe it's talking in that context about obeying civil authority, And it says in verse 5, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, I should be obedient to civil government for fear of what would happen to me if I'm not. In other words, they might punish me. That would be their wrath on me for not being obedient. But I need to also do it to keep my conscience 
uh, right. I need to do it for my personal conscience. So Paul is saying there, honor your conscience. Honor. First uh, Timothy one verse five. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's great. It's important to have a good conscience. Okay. And then First Timothy three eight and nine. Likewise must the deacon likewise must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So the 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 simple answer to the first part of our question is is our conscience important? Is it important to have a good conscience, a clear conscience, a pure conscience? And the answer to that is just absolutely and definitely yes. Absolutely. And if we violate our conscience, it's a sin. Yeah. Romans 14 is very clear about that. Right. Now, what about then, if, if, if we grant the point that conscience is important, what about that old expression, let your conscience be your guide? Is, mm. is, is, you know, I remember when I was, and this obviously is going way back there, uh, there was a little children's song that actually taught that principle, let your conscience be your guide. Yeah. Uh, that was and a, so that's been around forever. That because yeah. you know, if, if, if it was when I was a kid, yeah. it's been around for a long. Yeah. But it was it's been around a lot. Point. It's been yeah. around a lot longer than that. Yeah. Um, Kent goes on in his answer, which I think is so good. He says, while the conscience is very important, it must never be used as our guide. I would probably add the word our our exclusive or ultimate guide. The word of God is the only infallible standard for all accountable individuals and thus our only infallible guide. While the human conscience is important and must be respected, it can only act as it's been educated. If the conscience has been properly educated by the scriptures, it will prompt us to act in a correct manner. If it has been incorrectly educated by false teaching, it will prompt us to act in a sinful manner, even though we sincerely believe that we're doing the right thing. Uh, and, and I agree with him. I think that that is exactly. It's about how our conscience is trained. You you read earlier, Jacob, from Hebrews uh, chapter five, chapter five, and it, it it talked about having our sense. I think the King James says senses uh, exercised. Our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And it may be somebody maybe in the chat room is reading another version. I don't have another version with me, but there where it talks about our senses. Now, there may be a, a, a version or two that actually even uses the word conscience there, but it, but it has to be our senses or our conscience has to be exercised to discern good and evil. In other words, it has to be trained. It has to be educated. Uh, and so uh, your con- I think God instilled in us a conscience. It can be very helpful, but just exactly like Kent said, it's got to be trained properly. Uh, if you... For instance, you know, in the news these days, we hear about these uh, Islamic terrorists who behead people in the name of their religion. You think their you think their conscience is clear in that matter? Yeah, they're very... I, I imagine it is. I think they think that they're doing God a service. The Apostle Paul, when he was having Christians put to death, he believed he was doing God a service. And, and so the, the, those serve as examples. Your conscience can be completely out of phase with the will of God. It can be telling you everything's okay when it's obviously not okay. So we've got to be really careful about this principle, let your conscience be your guide. So you can be misled religiously, but you could also be misled or just have your conscience so dull by not listening to it and by stepping all over it. As First yeah. Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 talks about, 
wicked people. The Spirit, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So yeah. if you get to the point, even when you're not trying to do right, that well, your conscience doesn't bother yeah. you anymore. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians 4, uh, beginning verse 17, uh, has an expression there, who's, uh, who are whose are past feeling they they have uh, in the blindness of the heart they've gotten to the point where they are past feeling yeah and so uh, conscience is good it's important it's a god-given help to us as we live our lives but you can you, you can educate it wrong and therefore it's not going to guide you in the right way or you can abuse it and violate it so long that it stops yeah, provoking you doesn't to, work anymore. Yeah, and so uh, conscience as a guide uh, is is not a worthy principle, and we certainly have to be on guard. About All right, that. you've got only seven more minutes to make three more points. All right, can can I insist that you follow my conscience? Uh, as some people do. In other words, I uh, I have a conscience about some matter, and I want to force that conscience on you. Um, there was a big problem in, in the first century church about eating of meats that had been offered to idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some some Christians had a really strong conscience against eating any meat that had been offered to idols. Uh, and in Rome, Paul wrote about that in Romans 14, beginning verse 1. Him that is weak, verse 1, Romans 14, 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest thy brothers, or, excuse me, who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Uh, Paul is saying there, that in that specific matter, and that was clearly a matter of conscience, it was not a matter of of truth and righteousness. Because in first, I won't take time to read it in First Corinthians eight, though, which is actually an epistle that was written before Romans. So uh, we think First Corinthians, a very early epistle in the New Testament, Paul had actually said, "An idol is nothing in the world." 1 Corinthians 8, beginning verse 4, he said, For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. He's talking about eating meats offered idols. Paul said it's not anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, you're not better or worse for having eaten or not eaten. So, it was, but, but some people there in Romans 14 obviously had a conscience about that, uh, and so they shouldn't have eat, they should not be eating. If it, if it offended their conscience, you mentioned, uh, there in Romans 14, what is it, about verse 23? Uh, verse 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, or whatever's not faith is sin. So, uh, if your conscience said don't do it, Paul's saying don't do it. But he's also saying don't, don't insist that everybody else, uh, necessarily do the same thing that your conscience is dictating to you. Yeah. Uh, and so um, sometimes we get people who want to do that. We got to be careful about that. Yeah, that's a big a big trap. Uh, so uh, again, how do we solve that? Well, there is an objective standard. Go back to the objective standard that we've been talking about all night. But you got to be careful about trying to force your conscience on others uh, in in such matters as that. Okay. And then the final point that I think we really want to stress is I should. While you shouldn't force your conscience on me, I should still be sensitive to your conscience. And I think the scriptures tell us that 
again, in 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul was talking about this eating of meats offered idols, he, he plainly said, uh, it's, the idol is nothing. If we eat, we're, we're not better. If uh, For neither if we eat, are we the better? Neither if we eat not, are we the worse? In verse 8. And then he continues on with that. Uh, verse 9 Take heed, though, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat at the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? In other words, he sees me. His conscience says don't do it, but he saw me do it. Now he's going to do it violating his conscience. So Paul says there at verse 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul said, I'm going to be very careful not to do anything that would offend his conscience. He'd already said it's not a matter of truth and righteousness, uh, but he said, I'm not going to do anything that would be an offense to uh, make my brother stumble. No, I'm going to try to protect his conscience. So uh, the answer to that, should I be concerned about the conscience of others? I think the answer is yes. All right. Uh, certainly. Uh, Kent says we should not follow the conscience of others. We should follow only the word of God. However, we should be concerned about the conscience of others demonstrating a proper respect for them. But at the same time, have a greater concern for studying the scriptures and encouraging others to follow the word of God, not their personal conscience as their standard of authority as well. Yeah. Thanks. Good Kent, answers, Kent. Thanks for your email tonight, Kent. So I, I do think that this is really important. I think we talk a lot on the virtual Bible study about making judgments, uh, you know, and, and certainly on the virtual Bible study, lots of opinions are expressed on all sorts of, of subjects, both by us and by our listeners, by our emailers and those in the chat room. Uh, it, it's just it's just obviously going to happen that people have feelings and opinions. They have conscience. And so I think it's worthwhile to see how all that fits together when it comes to doing the will of God. All right. Kyle, last word tonight from you. Uh, Which is just our conscience. And like you said, it can be dulled if we do not practice what the Bible teaches. We can just, we'll tear it all to pieces and we won't have any, we'll, we'll find ourselves just... We're going to wreck this tool that God gave us yeah. that can be very helpful, dangerous. but we can wreck it. Dangerous, dangerous. All right, Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. It's always good to be here. Dad, a good discussion. Thanks, thanks for David. being here with us thanks. tonight. And thank you for listening. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.